we were hit yesterday and we heard Johanna introduce the conference saying that it was okay to tweet and Instagram and everything if you need to check your emails, uh, if you need to send some text messages to colleagues or family, solve some issues, that's totally okay to do it while we talk. Um, we did it yesterday. And hey, the most efficient of you here in the audience might already have been taking some really uh, quick decisions during the time, even though it's just 9.30. Decisions that just had to be made really now, that couldn't wait. All we have is time. We know this is a fact. We know this is to be truth. It's some fundamental truth. But we somehow have managed to convince ourselves that this doesn't apply to us. We have convinced ourselves of the opposite, especially at work. And we find ourselves, both of us, in situations where we're running out of time, all the time. Yeah, as uh, Victoria is saying, working in our practice, um, as I'm sure in many of yours as well, time somehow has become a really scarce commodity, something that we almost can't afford. But today, we are here to tell you a story about a quite uh, unexpected client that gave us the opportunity to finally work under the circumstances that we value and believe in and really have been fighting for every day in our practice. This collaboration uh, turned out to really be a game changer that we have been looking for. Because we have been advocating for the need of a value-based urban planning for over a decade. Uh, and this turned out to be the opportunity to return to some fundamental truths, to put time and value back to the center of our work. We work with cities. We deliver plans, ideas, thoughts, strategic documents on how cities are to look like, can look like and they, what they can be. And in an even more urbanized time, these quite urbanized times, cities are creating a lot of damage. At the same time, cities are pointed out as actors where sustainability actually can make, sustainable changes actually can make huge impact. And the city's importance isn't just now. In the turbulence times of democracy, Cities have been very important. They have been, they have played a pivotal role as sites for assembly, sites for discussion. They have been sanctuaries for the persecuted. They have been shapers of political language. And they have been and are the drivers of huge economical forces. Yesterday, some of the democratic issues that our democracies are facing were uh, talked about and discussed. And adding to that, the global sustainable challenge addressed by the UN in the Agenda 2030, we, it's quite obvious that we need to rethink how we maintain and develop our societies. And the cities have an important role to play. They're essential if we are to solve these issues. At the same time, we know that crises are unavoidable. Nature is unreliant, and so are actually human beings. They don't always do what we think they should do. 
And it isn't the first time that democracy is in a crisis. To change this and to work more actively, we need to develop cities that can allow for this change to happen and for citizens to take a part in that. Indy Johar was talking about the role of the citizen in this uh, change. And here's a quote from David Harvey, stating that the city, and he puts it in another way, the right to the city is far more than the individual liberty to access urban resources. It's the right to change ourselves by changing the city as individuals and as citizens. And as a society and a city, we have historically been have, we have met challenges before, and we have ma managed to somehow come through them and find ways forward. The difference this time, at least for us in the building and, develop and urban development business, is that we somehow have managed, in the name of rationality, to lock ourselves into a system where we can't really handle the unknown. We have a tr a trouble moving forward before we have everything under control. And this starts already in our education. We're taught different tools to sympathize and organize all what a city needs, the, all the ambitions for its future, uh, into to a plan. In urban planning, we actually start with the end, with a master plan of the finished result. Everything neatly figured out and put in its right place. And from that plan, we then extract numbers that we try to measure and give meaning. Uh, we talk about things as costs, like parks and streets and squares, and things that create revenue, like square meters of building. This is the accounting system that you are also talked about just now. It's very present in this. And what these graphs illustrate is really a nego negotiation. How much park can we afford if we build this many houses? How many houses do we need to afford this park? But that role as an illustration of a possible future is not really the role that this is given in our projects. These calculations and plan really quickly become the reality, the project, the only way forward. And those values that does not fit into this, they cannot and do not exist. And what is missing here, or sorry, we call this rationality, but it's really the opposite. Because what's missing here is the ability to, to adopt to things that happen over time. As the place changes, as new needs occur, new unknown facts uh, that makes us have, that change everything and change what we need the master plan to give us. And this is something that goes beyond our practice. It goes into our personal lives and has changed as a society. What is measured is to be accounted for. And what can't be measured doesn't exist. We measure our steps, we measure how much water we drink, we measure how many books we read, uh, how much water we drink, and things like feelings or hopes, interpersonal relationships. Those are things that are so much harder to take into account when you can't measure them. In an effort to use our time really efficient, effectively, that what we perceived as time-consuming um, 
effectively, we're trying to control things that we perceived as time-consuming. Feelings like anxiety, doubt, uncertainty, all human instincts that have helped us find all these new ways forward when dealing with problems and turbulent times. Those are seen as irrational, things that we can't afford. In the name of rationality, we have created an irrational system and working methods that comply with that, and that erase the factors that can be measured and defined in time and place. We have somehow managed to deem the rational into something irrational. And to challenge these structures we live, work, and love within become almost impossible, because they are the truth. And the just, equal, resilient city that every one of us strives towards, that we really want to work and build, that becomes an utopia. So, if this is the game, the sixth situation that we find ourselves in, who, is the who was it that made it possible to change the game, as we promised in the beginning? Well, this is the cathedral in Lund. One of the oldest organizations that we have is a really reactionary, cautious actor that almost seems to have been preserved in time to suddenly reappear now as an answer to our prayers. For whom the unknown isn't something scary that needs to be tamed, but, so, but rather something existed that needs to be explored. To maintain itself, the cathedral, the actual building, has over the last thousand years, not always in moral ways, but still acquired assets. Land, real estate and financial assets with the sole purpose to maintain the building until the end of time. So if we look at today, we can say that the cathedral have a lot of resources, it's rich. But that puts in a, is put in another as, uh, light if we say that that has to last for an eternity. The history of the cathedral is also intimately uh, intertwined with the history of the city of Lund. The cathedral is the core that the city has grown up around, both physically and culturally. The university for which the city is most known started in the cathedral in the 16th century, and the rebuilding of the cathedral over generations have attracted artists and architects and craftsmen and scientists to Lund over the years, and makes Lund a very internationally connected city to this day. The city of Lund is expanding, it's growing, and it's going, going through this huge development right now. One of the reasons, quite big one, is due to the two major research facilities, joint, European joint ventures, that just landed like two new cathedrals of science outside, just outside the city. The city and the whole region is gathering forces to integrate these two new facilities into the city and um, the context of the city. And as it happens, there are the cylinders, the, the round figures that you see up there in the presentation. And as it happens, the cathedral owned this piece of land between these two. So why are we? An architect and an economist here to talk about this piece of land. What's the cathedral up to? Well, another coincidence is that the asset management of the cathedral at this time, saw an opportunity, since they owned the land. This was the time when the cathedral took a, for them, very 
drastic and uh, yeah, we can say radical decision to add a new leg to how they manage their assets. And instead of uh, selling the land to the city of Lund, as they have done for year, like a hundred thousands of years, they wanted to continue to play an active role. So they decided to keep developing the land themselves. They wanted to have a platform to advocate their values and the values that they find the most important in the life of the city, but also to continue to play an active role in the development of the city. And this is really risky business. This is a cathedral. And, this, and land development is quite risky because they may take part in and make money off a process and that not might manage to preserve the values of the church, of, of the cathedral. And this can reflect badly on the congregation and actually challenge the existence of the congregation. So, if we start with the re realization that all we have is time and the possibilities, when time doesn't equal money, and eternity is the deadline. That opens up something. Things become possible. Time starts working with us instead of against us. And there is something that happens also when you start talking about eternity. It's almost a paradox that it brings us back to right now. Because we're already in it. It doesn't begin with us. We're just a link in this time in a thousand-year narrative. The values of the cathedral, they already exist, they're already at play, and they already pay, play a role in the city of Lund. But for us, again, in our practice, this was finally an opportunity to start with the how and the what. That became much more and more urgent than the when. That was our top priority. Instead of putting out the first houses as soon as possible, get them inaugurated and get revenue ticking in, instead, our first line of business was to set the long-term values, the ones that needs to be created or even more to be preserved as the land develops. Well, <laughs> and this is what we had, a field in the outskirts of Lund, between the two research facilities that Victoria was talking with and a tram line being built down to the city centre. The rest was only dreams and hopes from different actors trying, hoping to play a role in the development of this part of Lund. But beside the land itself, we of course had the cathedral. And as part of their legacy, they wanted to advocate some issues that they believed was missing in the plans for the future development. They talked about spaces of spirituality, about protecting the whole of God's creation, and knowledge through exchange. How do you apply that to urban development? The method that came quite naturally was to search for answers in a combination of reflection and conversation, like the cathedral always have done. And we were able to do that, to take the time, to really take the time needed to find the answers before we took the first step forward. The site was given the name Roengen, that's the name of the project, and three values were identified that as decisive for the cathedral's engagement in this development. The values that were already existed within the organization or at the place, but through the conversation of Roengen took a, 
on a more specific for form. This is also an opportunity for the cathedral to make sure that this time around the land will be, that they have been had in their possession for many years, will come back to the citizens of Lund, that it will be an enriching contribution back to the city. In a way, maybe say that you pay for all sins, but at least not repeat old mistakes. So, the core values, the first one is the drawing and has to relate to the landscape because we acknowledge that we're about to change it or affect it. And we need to do that in a way that ensures that it's a, make sure that it's in an enriching way. The second one is that Roengen has to contribute to build a neighborhood because we believe cities are more than buildings and that Roengen is part of a larger system that's independent, interdependent with Lund and the rest of the world. And, and lastly, something that's really close to the legacy of the cathedral is the drawing and has to create a hostship, something that caters for ongoing conversations as the urban development proceeds, but also secure physical spaces that belong to more, to more people than the ones who live and work in Rowingen. Even if these are values that are very specific to the church and for this project, Processes like this is what we actually do almost every day. We help our clients guide or guide them through more or less uh, work like this. We just develop the sustainability programs, we develop guidelines, we map possible ways for them to take. Ambitions are always high, and, uh, but, but when facing business as usual, or the game we traditionally play, these prove to be increasingly hard to stay by, stand by and implement in the reality. We see in almost all projects that the values are those that easily disappear when we place the projects in the frames and systems that we are giving to work with. Even though they are the most fundamental, these values are the most vulnerable. As Osan mentioned before, conversations are a central part of how we work. As long as the conversation about Roengen keeps going, Roengen exists. The conversations is what takes the long-term values, ideas that we're going to want to do and into actual doing, doing the first steps. The conversations are built up uh, around the three core values, the landscape, the hostship, and the neighborhood. They take place in totally different settings. Uh, we invite all kinds of uh, actors to play part, experts, uh, citizens, artists. But the conversations themselves are the platform where we take the core values and stress test them against and challenge them uh, towards what other, other ideas. Through that, we can develop our own otherwise quite giving truths on how to run a project like this. And to take time, take the time to do all these conversations is the most important job in this project. It doesn't take more time, it just takes longer time. And as all this gathering and compiling of knowledge uh, is tried out in texts and in drawings. Uh, we also had a strong need of physically engage with the site of Roengen, 
to get out of the paper and out into the field and see what happens. We needed the first projects to be, be quite uh, quick, not too cost, costly or complicated. Something that a small organization as the cathedral actually could stay in charge of and have control of. Sort of. The central part of the cathedral's life, historically and today, is to invite uh, collaboration with uh, artistic co uh, co collaborations with artists and architects and music. Uh, they see these features, the art artistic features, as part of an ongoing theological conversation. So, so to stay true to that, we felt that the only natural way to move forward was the same way they usually commission art. But not, by not asking for a specific answer to a, to a pre-decided uh, question, we were asking for a widening of perspective. The ones who were invited uh, even could propose new questions that would deepen the already, already ongoing discussions. We were inviting for a collaboration and not just to get a, an object. And to work with art in connection with urban development is nothing new. It happens a lot. And there is uh, a critique or even concern and critique that art is used as placemaking to attract attention, sometimes even to distract, or that it's given the sole responsibility for cultural or social aspects of a development. And there is, of course, aspects of that in Rowengen as well. But our intention is that it is an integrated part of the process. It, and it's a really important tool for us to, to, uh, to explore the site, the context, and the cathedral's new role. We learn a lot by doing this. The ideas that these projects sparkle, the new questions that they pose, they have an impact. They can change the master plan. And by letting this be a step-by-step -step process, where each commission creates the context for the next one, we can have managed to somehow change the timeline of a project. Because normally you do an analysis, and then you do the planning, and then you start building. But this is now all happening parallel. Uh, and since, we're, since we don't have, and the project, we usually say the project starts when you start building, but the project started already when, it, it, it always was there somehow. And, uh, and, th and this also puts failure in another light. Because what is a failure? We had this idea of we wanted to do something, we put it out there, that didn't happen. But we learned something, and we can change it. And this learning by doing is making it less scary to try things. Because we can always adapt, we can change. Okay, that didn't work, let's try this instead. Hmm, we thought that if we invite them, we'll get this out of it, we got this instead. Maybe that's where we're supposed to be, and not where we thought we were supposed to be. And having that possibility is a great value. Because we're convinced that making those small fa uh, failures, getting, <laughs> failing small now, will get us much closer to uh, the end result that we're looking for. So we're hoping to be able to commission the first buildings in the same op open way, in the investigative and collaborative way that the arts has been commissioned. The cathedral might sound like this super exceptional client, and they are in some ways, but at the same time, they are not. They are working 
within the same market as everyone else. Uh, they're dealing with the same premises, planning issues, as all projects that we do. We do planning and calculation, as we do in all projects, as traditional. But by changing one parameter, time aspect, value, that changes everything. Everything is turned upside down. Because this time, we start with what we have, the field. And this small piece of land, but we also start with the values that we want to keep on for eternity. Instead of this given future scenario, the plan, and then on that, build the calculations. I'm going to mention two aspects that time has changed. In our traditional planning systems, um, in the traditional planning systems that we are doing in this project, we also have yield to the conversation as methods. Uh, and this has opened up totally new opportunities and possibilities on how to actually plan, how to actually calculate, because people are thinking about this and they have lots of good ideas. And this is what happens when you invite people and take the time to invite them and say, hey, let's do this another way. People bring their ideas front. Uh, The conversations are ongoing, and the experts are of all kind, but all resulting in deeper knowledge, fascination of the world, and this specific piece of land. And the first thing that I'm going to tell you about of land change is this. This is the subsoil. The subsoil is the third layer of soil uh, on the earth that we walk in. During the conversations, I, I, it's important to know, I had I'm a trained economist, uh, an economist by training. I have, had no idea what the subsoil was until a couple of months ago. But during uh, one of the, the conversations, one of our experts raised the issue of the subsoil to us. Uh, and it's a magical level of soil. Uh, you see, it's magical. And this, this is what actually makes it possible for trees to grow, for uh, cultivation, the density and the bio biological materiality of the subsoil is essential for what is to be in the future. And the subsoil can't be moved, we can't take it from somewhere else, and once damaged, the subsoil can't be repaired. We had no idea about this. And we work with all the kind of projects, so you understand how much damage we actually had done before. Uh, so. For example, if you drive heavy machinery through the subsoil, or through the land, the subsoil, the composition of the subsoil is destroyed. And you lock futures. You, we can't be able to, to cultivate. This has had huge implications, what she told us. This small piece of information changed everything. It changed where we were supposed to place the first commission that Osa was talking about because we had to run, uh, drive with machines to, to make it. But luckily for us, the plan, the master plan, just consisted of one physical structure. And the plan was on paper. So we just did it again. By keeping to the plan, we would have locked ourselves into futures. We would have adding uh, to a given future. By adding this small piece of information, we don't mess with the subsoil. And the subsoil has a magical name in Swedish. It's called Alven. So never mess with Alven, okay? 
On the other hand, by doing this, we have opened up uh, instead, what we do is that we don't close the futures. We continue to have those possible futures open until we actively decide what we're going to do and how we're going to take the next steps. The next thing that actually changed a lot when we think about the calculation or calculation with the eternity is the return on investment. Uh, if there are any CFOs here, you understand what I'm talking about. Uh, because this project needs to go break even. Uh, profit is good, as long as it doesn't fuck badly on the reputation and uh, the idea of the cathedral. We can't jeopardize the, the, the congregation and the cathedrals. Um, wait, uh, the cathedral. But since the project has the eternity, the return on investment is quite different. In a traditional development project, like also was talking about, uh, we would have start with the things that made money that made money come into the project. To, for example, put a public garden in is a crazy, non-defendable, irrational idea because it's a cost. But if you look at it from a human perspective, if you start in the reality, this field that has almost anything besides these two research facilities, to start with a public garden is an amazing idea because you create value to the area. And we know this from all the parks that ever have been built. They create value to the people living there, living around them, to the whole cities. So the same way that we could change the plan, we can change accounting systems in a way that a garden becomes an investment instead of a cost. And here you see the first commission. It was commissioned as an open question. What should be the first thing? And this is one of the ideas that came back to us. Do a public garden. Start by challenging the calculations. Okay, so to summarize, everyone can't have eternity as their deadline. We realize that. But to deem that, that we can't measure and control as uh, unnecessary or irrational, is not and has never been a sustainable, sustainable way forward. Our mission in Roenge is to try to formulate a new and wise and more patient way of working. A way of working that allows to invite others and also give them the, the, the possibility to dare and to take their time. And really to, again, question the collective truths that we have made up for ourselves. If we t continue to ignore these human values, the values that define us as human beings, and actual humanity is also the foundation of our the, that should be the foundation of the cities, uh, we will never create the resilient democratic cities that we strive for. Sometimes we don't need great innovation. Um, sometimes it's just enough on how we relate to time and value. And to do so, to make the commitment and stand by these long-term values that we have. Even though our instincts, our training, our practices, our everyday lives is, is uh, advising us against that. In Roengen, a small shift in perspective on time and money has created a small revolution when it comes to how we can develop our urban, we can drive urban development processes. We now have the case to show that things can be done differently. And we hope 
that we, together with you and much more, a lot of other people, can take the time, find the time, to start more small revolutions in the future. Because that's how we think that we create a shift in paradigm. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that was very exciting. I have uh, a question that will first, I think, sound quite critical. It's from uh, Stereo Associates, who says, isn't the cathedral in Lund an example of, of time being a luxury that only comes with a surplus of money? Uh, and, and they also comment that, that it seems to be, I mean, we have some urgent housing needs. We need housing, for instance, for young people and migrants. Uh, that it seems that, that taking all this time could be questionable from that perspective. What is your immediate response? You're laughing, both of you. <laughs> a little bit. If you take it first, then I get the well, second. Well, again, taking time doesn't mean years. Sometimes it's just what you, what you start with, what you give your time to think. Sometimes it's more just give yourself an hour or a day more. That can make a big difference. It's just to realize that if we don't take the time to do it now and think about where we, where we build these new houses and which way we do it, we might create more damage than if we... Uh, we will create more damage in the future, maybe, because all these need, things need to be considered. If we talk about the housing situation, yeah. if continue to do things as we normally do, then we, for sure, on this land, will do as we always have done. And that's just create bigger. We won't be able to make, find this new financial instrument, these new ways of calculating that enable us to make the possible to build what we want to build. Good housing that is affordable. Because one problem that we have is that we're building affordable house, so housing, but in a long-term perspective, that housing is really bad. It just has like a 10-year um, life expectancy. And if you look at the whole system, that is good for now, for the inhabitants, the uh, citizens having that apartment right now, but for the, <laughs> the big picture is actually locking us in, in bad housing situations. We're creating problems for the future. We're just moving the futures. So we're taking the time now to think about how can we create good housing, affordable housing, enable for those actors that don't have time, that, do, that don't fit in in the market economy that we're working in right now. And, well, you're already going into most of my questions, but I'll hook into that first. Because everything you, you're describing sounds incredible, like it, it's clearly going to be a wonderful place, but it's very difficult to see how it's not going to be a wonderful place for, for quite rich people. Um, if the, if the housing if, if is perfect, um, expected to perform in a market economy, which in some way it is. But in, in fact, I guess what I'm hearing you say is that the church is, is behaving in, like we would hope that the public sector would, that just keeping a very long-term perspective uh, on, on profit. Profit and money are just things that we can decide how to relate to. Right now, we have a return on investment times on what we're building on three years. We have to actually get the money back in three or four or five years. And that is creating solution. What we are building is either has quite bad quality or is going to be very expensive. And that's why we need these new financial models. 
And first we need time to find them, make them happen, enable actors to encourage actors that have different ideas of how we can finance, how we can build, give them the land here to actually do it, and just test it because it can be done. It just isn't possible in a, the market economy that we're living in. Now we're just having this small piece of land to test new things. But what we can do with this piece of land, instead of doing as normally is done, is show that not only good things, environmental things can be done, we can, do, we can build for more groups, include more groups, build in another kind of way. I'm just making this face now because, of course, what I'm hearing you say is, yeah, if you're a publicly traded company, you're very unlikely to think this long term. Unless, of, of course, that return of investment, okay, we push it 10 years further or 20 years down the line, and then it will be significantly larger than it otherwise would have been. Do you think it's likely that it would be significantly larger 20 years later, the, ret the, the return on the investment? Or do you think it's going to be sort of about the same? It just breaks out, breaks the, the distribution of the income is just going to be different. I think that if we took us time to put our projects in a longer time perspective, we would take totally different decisions than the ones we're taking right now. If we're building a house knowing that we have the responsibility for the house for three, five, or ten years, we're going to take some decisions. If we have the, 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 the idea that we're going to have the responsibility for that building, or no matter what it is, for an eternity, I'm sure more actors would have taken totally different uh, decisions. I'm, I'm realizing we're running out of time, so I'm just going to ask for like a one-world reply. An average building that is built today, how long do we expect it to, to stand? Well, yeah, that, that's a good question. I mean, it is expected still that it's going to stand there for 50, 100 years, but it is still the, the decisions that goes into the design is only a 10-year or 5-year perspective. That is insane. Because that the ones who are building it, they're not going to be there. It's, it's someone else's problem. So we're taking that with us. I have some practical information for you, but before we do that, please give a big hand to Ose Bjerndel and Victoria Perkovic-Kutiera. Thank you. Thank you.